morning, Genesis. How are we doing? Hope everybody's Christmas was nice. Of course, it's raining today, but we're still here, and we're going to make a big deal about Jesus Christ. We're going to glorious truths about how he came, he came to rescue us. So I invite you now to stand with Krista. <laughs> Shine. 
Good morning, Genesis. Glad you guys are here. Uh, before you sit down, um, if you can, work your way across the room. Maybe introduce yourself to someone uh, that uh, you might not have met before. Um, as Corey mentioned earlier, uh, if this is your first time, one of the things that uh, I want you to know up front is that uh, we love to make a big deal about God. We love to make a big deal about Jesus, and it will show up in how we sing. It will show up in how we preach. And so one of the other things is we make a big deal about who God is and who Jesus is, is we also like to connect with one another. So take a few minutes, literally, if you haven't met someone, shake their hand, let them know that uh, you're glad to meet them and you're glad they're here. So do that now. Good to see you, man. Hi. Nice. I think I'm still on. A king is born in Bethlehem. Our journey long, we seek the light that leads to the hallowed manger. What fear we felt in the
Hello. It's fun uh, getting to meet some new uh, people, some new faces this morning. We've got uh, some folks who've traveled all the way from London. Martin, I don't know where you are, but heard about Genesis across the pond and came all the way. I'm just kidding. He's visiting a friend, but he happens to be here today. I've got my uh, family in from uh, the great state of North Carolina. It's not greater than Ohio, but, you know, they can try. Um, my wife's family in from Indianapolis, so I'm glad you guys are here. And it's just been fun seeing how many different families uh, and friends have been coming to visit over the last few weeks as Christmas uh, has come and gone. Does anyone feel like you gained at least 15 pounds in the last 24 hours? Yes. So Christmas leads to a lot of just gluttony of eating way more. Danielle, I'm glad you can resonate with that. Um, so starting today, we're going to not only spiritually work out, but we're going to figure out a way to physically work all of ourselves back into shape. So um, if you are here for the first time, I'm very glad you're here. Um, I've not said really anything about this, but uh, we wanted to give you guys a gift. Uh, we've got a lot of these books uh, by an author named Lee Strobel. Uh, he's a guy who wrote uh, some books called uh, Case for Faith or Case for Christ, kind of a journalistic perspective on Christianity and who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and such. And he wrote uh, a very small little book that uh, you could probably knock out in all of about 20 minutes uh, called The Case for Christmas. So uh, we've got a bunch of those books in the back. Uh, so if you would like one, it would be our pleasure and joy to give you a book uh, just to say, hey, thanks for coming today. Um, just to give you a heads up, uh, one of the things, uh, just so you can get to know Genesis a little bit, is uh, we like to do large community gatherings where we do some worship, we do some preaching, uh, and we celebrate communion together, uh, but we're also committed not just to large group communities, uh, or large community, but doing life together in the context of smaller communities. And so starting in, uh, I think, two or three weeks, uh, we just fin finished our fall trimester of life groups. This coming uh, January, mid-January, is when we'll start uh, our winter trimester of life groups. And something that we haven't done before, but we're pretty excited to do, is uh, typically life groups, their leaders pick whether it's a different book of the Bible they want to study or different books like Case for Faith or something like that. But this coming trimester in January, the whole church is going to be doing the exact same thing. And uh, what that thing is, is a study called the Gospel-Centered Life. And that uh, really begs the question or asks the question, what does it really look like to have the gospel as the center of who you are? And so... Coming literally in two or three weeks, signups are going to begin, I think, actually next week. Uh, but we've got 10 different life groups meeting throughout from Boston here in Woburn to uh, other towns. You can check out online. But uh, our hope is that we would always have 100%. If you consider Genesis to be your home, we want you to be in a life group where you can learn together, study together, encourage one another, pray for one another, just literally learn how to do life together. So that's coming in, um, I think, two or three weeks is when we'll, we'll start that off. And just to plant one more seed, uh, we do this sometimes once a year, sometimes twice a year. We do something called Celebration Sunday, uh, where we do uh, some worship, uh, but then rather than typical preaching and message, what we do is give you guys the mic. And uh, on January 10th, which is two Sundays from now, uh, the mic gets turned over for anyone who wants to come up and literally just share story, testimony of what you've just seen God doing in your life. This is not a story of going back to when you were two years old. This is, could be just last week. It could be over the last two months of 
just how you've seen God at work in your life, some of the things that you've seen God do. And it's a way for us to celebrate as a community that God is not just working in one person's life or a few people's lives, but it's to celebrate God's at work all over the place in the midst of this community. So be thinking about what uh, story uh, God has been working in your story and what you would be uh, sharing on uh, the 10th of January. Uh, We've got two more messages in a series that was our Christmas series called I. And uh, at the heart of I, uh, this was compliments of Steve Jobs, who is the king of I, uh, who literally years and years ago um, revolutionized the way we uh, now even talk on the phone, the way we receive music, listen to music, purchase music. And he just created this little niche called I, whether it was iTouch or iPod, iTunes, iLife, iMac, and it really fed into uh, a culture that was bent on one thing, I, uh, where I am at the center of my world, and what's most important to I is I. And what we've been trying to do over the last few weeks as we've looked at the Christmas story is what would it look like to have life lived where the world doesn't revolve around you, where I is... You just don't make a big deal of I, meaning you and me, uh, that we are learning how to live, not with I at the center, but learning how to live uh, ultimately with Jesus uh, at the center. Uh, We've looked at everything from I see, which was um, the shepherds, when they saw Jesus, this baby Jesus, uh, their story and their song changed. These men were radically different from when they, before they met Jesus as a baby to after they saw him. They started singing a brand new song, and it wasn't about them. Then we looked at uh, Mary and what it looked like to live, not a uh, make sacrifices in life, but to live a sacrificial life. And our point of that was, I doesn't make sacrifices, I learning to live sacrificially. Uh, and then we looked at a, what I would say is a pretty tragic story uh, in the story of Herod. Uh, Herod was much like Steve Jobs, the king of I, of his world, And Jesus threatened his eye, and so in an attempt to kill uh, that which was threatening him, his existence, Herod decided to kill, or try to kill, it was the first assassination attempt on Jesus' life. Uh, And God was in that, God protected Jesus, but there was um, uh, probably about 40, 50 kids uh, in a small little town of Bethlehem who lost their life in Herod's rage. And that message was called, Uh, I murder. Today, another uplifting title, uh, Kyla talks to me about this. She's like, Michael, you really got to work on your titles of messages from, we've done some messages called I hate you to I want a divorce part one, I want a divorce part two. Uh, Then when this whole I series, you know, uh, we were inviting people to come to Christmas Eve and such, and we're passing out these cards that are on your chairs. And I was like, wow, it must seem strange if someone gets this card for the first time and they see Like, I murder, and then I die. Like, who wants to come to a community where that's what we're talking about? Um, Well, the message this morning uh, is called, I Die. Now, I realize that's, um, at best, a strange title of why would you make a message entitled, uh, I Die. And I don't know if you were around uh, about a decade or so ago, Uh, There was a a gentleman named Rick Warren who wrote a very successful, sold millions and millions of copies of a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And it was, uh, I got to, it's it's kind of 40 days, 
And I made it to day four, and so I felt very accomplished. I didn't get to day five and beyond, but as typical with me in books, I read up to uh, about a chapter and a half, and then I move on to the next one. Uh, so I actually didn't get past day five, but day one, two, three, and four, it was, it was pretty phenomenal. Um, the message of that book, though, is found in the title. How do you live a purpose-driven life? And today, I don't want to talk about a purpose-driven life. I want to look at what it actually, to have a purpose-driven death. And again, I've already said it's a strange title. So my point is not to be fatalistic, uh, but the point ultimately is to look at the life that God invites us to live. Uh, In order for us to live that life, there needs to be a death before we actually physically die. Uh, I'm a Braveheart fan, and uh, there's our main character, William Wallace, who is a hero of most men. Um, At the end of his life, um, he's about to be martyred for um, his warring against uh, England. And so he gets to the end of his life, and the woman that loves him comes and is trying to um, tell him to recant and take everything back, and maybe the king will show mercy. And he gets to this Oscar-winning award scene here. Uh, Mel Gibson's doing his best. And he just says this simple quote of, every man dies but not every man really lives, okay? Every man dies, but not every man really lives. The reality is, if you didn't know this, we will all die at some point, okay? I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the reality is, at some point in time, we will all die. The question that I want to talk about this morning is, before you get there, will you actually truly live? And not just a managed lifestyle or a life that you actually survived um, and barely kind of hung on to, but a life where you can actually get to the end and say, in death, I actually lived so that when I do get to my physical death, I will look back and say, uh, like we'll look at some scripture this morning, it says, I lived well. Um, The death of I has been really kind of at the heart of the series. This is kind of a turning point of uh, hopefully some decisions will get made Uh, today where we say, you know what, I'm done trying to make much of I, meaning I'm done trying to make much of me. And I don't mean me, I mean for you, Uh, that there will be a death to say, I just don't want my life to be about me anymore. I don't want my life to be where I'm at the center of my my world. Because if you are, that world just keeps getting smaller and smaller and more lonely and more lonely uh, as you go. Um, If you're a Christian, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, Uh, when you first initially decided to follow Jesus, you responded to an invitation of Jesus, and this was a a verse that he gave to his disciples, an invitation he gave to his disciples. It says this, Then he said to them, being disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, will save it. Then he asks a great question. What good is it for man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very self? Jesus's invitation to those who would be followers was to deny self, die to self, pick up your cross, and then to follow me. Now, in our world's context, our culture, this seems like a very backwards way of inviting people uh, to follow you. But Jesus makes very clear, listen, if you're going to be a Christian, 
Uh, this is not an easy lifestyle. At the heart of this lifestyle is a life that says, I will deny myself. I will die to myself. I'm not going to make much of myself, and I will follow. Now, if you're not a Christian, you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus. I'm guessing this sounds rather absurd. Why would I ever want to follow someone whose initial invitation to me is to deny, die, and then follow? Like I can find a better offer out there somewhere else. So if you're not a Christian, I realize that probably sounds at best absurd. Unless you really think about, you actually do that anyways. We, in our life, the reality is we are denying ourselves and dying to ourselves every single day. Like if we didn't deny ourselves, if we didn't die to our every impulses, some of us most likely would just be in jail or at best, we would just be miserable people. We would be completely lonely people. So regardless of Jesus' invitation and you're not a Christian, you deny yourself anyways every single day and at some level, you are making decisions to die to yourself uh, as well. And the reality is also, you're a follower. We're all followers. It's just a question of, is who or what you're following worth following? Another way to say it is, what you give yourself to really worth giving yourself to. And so Jim Elliott was um, uh, a missionary uh, who went overseas, gave his life to telling other people uh, about Jesus. And this was a phenomenal quote uh, that he wrote uh, in his journal. He says this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It's another way of this man coming to towards the end of his life saying, uh, some would consider him a fool for how he lived his life. But he would look to them and say, how foolish is it to give yourself to something that ultimately doesn't last or will waste away or fade away or ultimately you can't keep? Why not give yourself to something that will last not only for now, but will last for eternity. So again, if you're not a Christian, you haven't made this decision to, to follow Jesus, the invitation by, by Jesus was deny, die, and then follow me. So I've already told you that we do that regardless. We are denying, dying to self, and we're all followers. So a question that's maybe even bigger than this there's a man in scripture named Solomon, and I can't think of anyone else more than Solomon who actually wrestled with the question of meaning of life, purpose of life, significance, value, worth, like where do these things come from? You can read the book of Ecclesiastes and hear his story, his journal, of how he really wrestled with the meaning of life. And early on in his letter, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he says this, speaking of God, he has also set eternity in the hearts of men, meaning there's something that is in each of us that knows that there's got to be more than just a, a few years on this planet. There's got to be something greater, more significant, more purposeful, more meaningful, more valuable than just a few laps around this life. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. So at some level, whether you've rejected the invitation by Jesus, there's still something within you 
that wonders, what if there's more? Because eternity by God has been set in your heart. And what that means is there's been a God-planted desire for him for eternal things planted deep within you. And so if you're not a Christian, if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, it's just simply to say, you're not an accident. How sad it is to think of your life as an accident. Uh, You're not here by just random choice. God has designed, fashioned, and purposed you to live a life with meaning and purpose. And that meaning and purpose comes from knowing ultimately God. And Jesus says, I am the way that we can know, that you can know God. I am the way that you can have a relationship with God. So I'm giving you a lot of talk right now uh, to set up uh, where I'm uh, headed right now, and that the invitation by Jesus was deny, die, and follow. Some of us as Christians have made that decision, and if that's you, let me ask you a question. Do you find that it's very easy to resurrect yourself? Like, don't you find that sometimes you're like, I made that decision, I'm, I'm, I'm walking with God, I'm denying myself one day, but then the next day, you live completely different as if God didn't actually exist, where you are God of your life, you are in control, uh, you've taken ownership, so to speak, back of your life. How quickly we can say as a Christian, I'm denying, I'm dying, I'm following Jesus, but then the very next day, the I resurrects itself again, and then we, we kind of go on this yo-yo almost of like, we go down further and further away from God, and when we realize that life is not working with I at the center, we go back up to God and we say, God, I'm sorry, I won't do that again, only to go back at, eventually at some point and just keep going down as a yo-yo. My question is, how do you grow beyond that? Like, how do you grow as a follower of Jesus And not just keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Dying, but then resurrecting yourself. Dying, but then resurrecting yourself. Going back to God, saying the same old thing. Okay, God, seriously, this time I mean it. You're in control. I trust you. I follow you. I will deny myself. I'll stop choosing the way of sin, and I'll start choosing the way of just loving you, being obedient to you. And the answer to that uh, is what we're going to get into is there's got to be a daily death meaning a daily death of I, a time and place where you literally have a waking moment where you say, you know what, today is another day where I'm not going to make much of me. Today is a day where I'm not going to live for I, I'm choosing to live for he. The, The Bible is just filled with stories of people who once lived for I, but then they met God and their life looked radically different. We're going to look at primarily a story of a man named Paul, Uh, and then finish with just some snapshots of other people's life. But um, I want to look specifically at a verse uh, where Paul makes very clear of what it means for I to die. Um, Let me just pray for us real quick and and just ask God to speak. So God, to that end, um, I've already said a lot, Lord, and uh, I just pray that anything that uh, ultimately is just not from you... uh, God, I just pray that we would not remember. Uh, so God, in that, I'm, I'm praying and asking that your voice would be the loudest voice in this place today. God, that we would hear from you. God, I, I realize some people here have made a decision to follow you, Jesus, uh, but yet they also, and I also know, 
what it's like to live like a yo-yo, just up and down, up and down, saying one thing one day and the next uh, living a completely different way. God, I just pray we could, we could stop that and we could live the life that you invited us to live and, and purposed us to live. And God, I do pray if there's folks in here today who have not made a decision, uh, Jesus, for you, that uh, there would be a great death of self today that we would understand what it means to truly live. So God, this is uh, some hard material we're talking about, but I, I pray that you would give great insight, give great wisdom, and uh, God, I do pray that we would be people who would respond to what you have to say to us in this place today. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. This is almost uh, at the very, very end of Paul's letter to a church that um, is uh, at best hurting. Uh, they're very confused about who they are and what they believe. And this is almost, I, I saw this years and years ago. And I was like, wow, this is such a huge verse, but yet uh, it's just literally four words. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 31, I die every day. That's the part of the verse I want you to catch. I die every day. I just want you to sit with that for a second, okay? This is the Apostle Paul who's writing, penning these words, and it's just four simple words. I die every day. And I wonder what it would look like for Paul. I have in mind that every single day, Paul would wake up and he would say, you know what? Another day where I will not live for me. Another day where I will not make much of myself, my situation or my circumstances. Another day where I will die so that Jesus can live, shine through me. I can't, I mean, is that a daily ritual practice for you, a routine, where you wake up, your knees hit the floor, and you're like, God, another day I commit to dying to myself so that I might live for you. Now, in the first century, the people who first responded to the gospel, they were persecuted to the point of death. So fresh on Paul's mind and anyone else who would be a disciple of Jesus in the first century was, if I really do this, if I talk about Jesus, I live the way of Jesus, I make much of Jesus, that could be the end of me. That was a decision they had to make every single day. So they did face a physical death, but there was also an internal, um, internal death. And I just have this picture of Paul. I die every day. Now, I'm going to read a, a longer chunk of scripture here. And I want to give you a picture because Paul gives us a picture of what life for him was really like, of why he actually would have to make a decision to die every single day. And he says this in 2 Corinthians, are they servants of Christ? People are questioning him uh, whether he's an apostle and whether they should listen to him and whether he's a disciple follower. Are, we, are they servants of Christ? And he goes on, I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Okay, just listen to this is the life that this man Paul lived. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. They didn't give 40 because death was 40. The belief was if you hit someone 40 times, 
they would die. So they'd go up to the point of death. That didn't just happen once to this man. It happened five times. Imagine what his back must have looked like. I mean, imagine the scars that were on this man's back. I guarantee it was just scar tissue. I mean, talk about not even having flesh on your back. Five times minus one, he received these lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. I mean, has anyone ever been beaten where someone literally took a stick or a baseball bat and just beat you? That happened to him three times. Once I was stoned. Three times, and by the way, this isn't like baseball-sized rocks. Back in the first century, the way they would stone someone is they would position them down in a pit where they could not move, and they would drop boulders on top of you, okay? Another way that they would try to kill you. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, meaning besides that long list he just gave us, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Okay, one could think like, what are you trying to brag, Paul? No, I think he's just trying to give us an insight into this is what life was like for first century followers of Christ, but specifically, this is the life that God had called Paul to live. As I read that list, I don't think I would have gotten past the first beating. Like, I know I look like I'm a tough guy. I don't think I would have survived probably the first set of lashes. I'm pretty sure I would have tapped out somewhere along the way and said, okay, I'm done, like enough. If, if the more I talk about Jesus, the more they hit me, stone me, beat me. I, d- I don't know if I could do that. And so what question is, what drove this man not to quit or give up? Like, what was it in his mind? Like, we would think, Paul, you're crazy. We'd probably put him on Prozac and lock him up and say, you need to calm down, Mr. Paul. But yet we look at Paul, we don't worship him, but we see him as a great champion of the faith, and we're thankful that he didn't give up. But my question is, why? Why didn't he give up? Why didn't he quit in face of all of this? 2 Corinthians gives us some insight into an answer. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And catch this, he died for all, talking about Jesus, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He was utterly convinced that because Jesus had died for him, was raised back to life, as he says, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. So every time he's getting beat, every time he's getting stoned, every time he was shipwrecked, every time he was in danger in 15 different places, I have a a sense what Paul was saying to himself is, I'm dying to myself because I'm living for someone far greater. Okay, we're celebrating Christmas now. 
I know Christmas has come and gone, but at Christmas, we, we make a big deal, and rightly so, of the coming of God stepping forth into humanity. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. But we're about four months away from Easter. And I want to ask, how big is Easter to you? We're in the midst of Christmas. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. But I have to ask, how big is Easter in your life? At Easter, we certainly we celebrate his total life. We celebrate his death on Good Friday. But on Easter, Sunday morning, we celebrate that Jesus is alive, that there was an empty tomb, that when they went to find him, he was not there. I'm asking the question to you of how big is Easter to you in your life because I get from Paul that it was everything. Like in Paul's mind, in his heart, in the way he lived, the resurrection changed everything for Paul. Because Jesus was alive, he was dead, murdered on a cross, but then three days later, because he was found to be alive, that one truth altered Paul's life forever. He says this in 1 Corinthians, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Like this is Paul talking to a church, and he says to the church, man, if Jesus is not alive, if there's no resurrection, that means Jesus isn't even alive. And if Jesus is not alive, what am I doing? Like, why am I even bothering to preach to you? And forget that, your faith, what a waste. It's futile. You might as well put your faith in some other dead guy. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement for Paul to look at a church and say, you're, if Jesus is not alive, your faith is utterly futile. He goes on, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in sin. So not only is your faith just a waste, but he says worse, you're still in your sin. If Jesus did not raise to pay the penalty for sin, cover you between you and God, wow, then you are out of luck. Someone meaning you or someone else will have to pay the penalty for your sin. If Jesus couldn't do it, then we're all in trouble. Now, Paul asked a great question about this resurrection. I go on in, in chapter 15, verse 30. As, and as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Isn't that a great question? He's looking to these people. He's saying, why do you think I do this? Like, why would I put myself in harm's way every single day? Why would I stand up and preach and proclaim and take the beatings and the mockery and all of the dangers that he faced? Like, why would we do that? Would we do it just because we're, I'm crazy? That's one option. Or for Paul, he answers his own question of why he endangers himself daily. It's because Jesus is alive. And for him, Jesus being alive absolutely changed everything. It's a great question for you to ask of yourself. Why am I doing this? Like even today, you could be home sleeping. You could be in many different places right now. As it relates to, if you're a Christian, this is a question you really should 
wrestle with. Why am I doing this? Why do I believe this? Why do I put myself out there? Why do I proclaim to follow Jesus? I hope that you have a compelling reason or a compelling answer, because if you don't, you will not have a very compelling faith. For Paul, he just simply puts everything on the resurrection. He goes on to say um, in Romans, I'm going to give you two verses here. Uh, First one is in Romans 6. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Utterly convinced that because Jesus died, was raised back to life, that those who believed in Jesus should absolutely live a new life, that there would be a death to I and there would be a life lived for he. He says this even more clearly in Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. I want you to catch this. I've been dead. I've been crucified with Christ. I've died. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is such a great verse. I no longer live, but it's actually Christ who is living in me. Go back to the 1 Corinthians 15, verse 30. There is a daily decision that Paul makes every single day. Another day, I will not live for myself. Another day where I will not make much of me. Another day, because Jesus is alive, I have an opportunity to have a living Jesus live through me. So come the beatings, come the shipwrecks, come getting hit with rods and sticks and stones. I will continue to live because I've died to myself and I'm living. Christ is living through me. So to die for Paul, it just began with that conviction. The conviction that Jesus is alive and it really led him to two conclusions. The first being, I can't live any longer for myself. I don't know if you've come to that conviction yet. Christian, non-Christian. Follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus. If you come to the place in your life where you say, you know what, I just don't want to live for myself anymore. That's what Paul says again in Corinthians and Romans and Galatians throughout his letters. Because of Jesus, I can't live for myself. That's the conviction number one. I can no longer live for myself. And his conviction number two was, I got to tell everyone I know because I am compelled by Christ's love, even if that means he looks foolish. He was utterly convinced that he can't go on living the same way because of Jesus. And he's utterly convinced that I've got to tell everyone that Jesus is alive. This is a terrible uh, analogy, but I'll run with it. If I were to die today, and you all knew that, you all came to my funeral, you all saw me buried, you all saw the dirt coming, come on top of my grave, Uh, but then next Sunday, you saw me come back up here and I was preaching. Would anyone be curious? Like, would anyone of you go and tell someone, like, okay, this was kind of crazy, but... Our pastor died, I saw him, I was at his funeral, but then at church, he was there today preaching as if nothing had ever happened. 
Like, would you tell anyone? I'm pretty sure many of us, like, I'm guaranteeing, like, attendance in the following week would, like, quadruple. You have to come see he was dead. I saw him die. I was there. But now he's back to life. See, this is what happened to Paul. He was so convinced that because Jesus was dead, but yet was resurrected, was alive, that he should live a very different lifestyle. I wonder if Paul got to the very end of his life and said, you know, hmm, what a waste. All those beatings, all those shipwrecks, all of those, all the mockery and, you know, all the dangers that I was in, uh, I'm not sure if it was really worth it. And I love that I can ask a question, was it worth it? And Paul actually gives us how he would answer that question. The very end of his life, the last letter that Paul writes, um, writes to a a young pastor named Timothy. And he says to Timothy in his last letter, uh, almost the last thing that we have actually penned from Paul, he says, "I I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I absolutely love that Paul's measuring stick was not like, this is how many people I converted, like this is how many churches I planted, this is how many beatings I endured. Like his measuring stick of fighting a good fight is that he actually kept the faith. He didn't quit. He didn't deny Jesus. He didn't walk away from Jesus. I'm guessing the very fact that he put, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There were times it was like, man, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. His measuring stick of fighting a good fight was that he didn't bail. He got to the end and still could say, I love Jesus more than I love myself. And I'm not living for me. I'm still living for the person, the God-man, Jesus. How was it that he kept the faith? Ultimately, it was the grace of God at work in him and through him. As he says in 2 Timothy, he kept his eyes on the prize. And then for Paul, I just love that he died before he actually was martyred. And my challenge, my encouragement to me, to us as a community is will you actually die before you get to your physical death? Because if you don't, you will miss the life that God has for you. Paul, I die daily. I wonder what it would look like for you, for me, for us as a community to wake up every single day and say, God, I'm not making much of me today, but I will make much of you. I will listen, I will follow, I will obey, I will do, God, whatever you ask me to do, whenever you ask me to do it, for however long you ask me to do it. Why? Because I've just, I've died to myself. It's not that you have a very low view of yourself and you're like, well, I'm a depressed person anyway, so what's the big deal? No, it's that you have such a high view of who God is that you say, I would rather die to my small self and live for someone who is so much greater. I love Paul. I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've kept 
of faith. Apparently, we've lost power on this side of the room, and lucky me, my clock is on this side of the room, so I have no idea what time it is, so I'm just going to keep going. What time is it? Seriously. Who's got a watch? Great. You should have told me like noon, but um, that's Paul. Paul was one who just said, you know what? I die daily, not making much of me. I will make much of him. Uh, Scripture just has story after story after story of men and women who made a similar decision. I'm going to read through, I'm not even going to be able to tell you the whole story, but if you can, just listen to a snapshot into each of these people's lives. Literally a snapshot, meaning one verse, summing up their life. Abraham, his death to I came when he was willing to sacrifice that was that which was most precious to him, which was his son. In a most crazy ask from God, God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. That must have been so confusing to Abraham. God, you don't, that's, that's not right. That's murder. We don't sacrifice kids. But Abraham, in a death to self, said, God, I don't understand this, but I will believe you and I will trust you. And I love Genesis chapter 2 or chapter 22. He says this. He said to his servants, stay here with this donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. He had this belief, this faith that I'm going to do what God told me to do, but I also believe that God can resurrect this boy because I know that God is not calling me to kill my son, that God was testing, trying his obedience. There was a death there to Abraham when he put his most precious thing on the altar. Go on to Moses. His death came in the desert when he just said, you know what? I can't even do anything or go anywhere if God, you're not in this. The way that Moses followed God was by a pillar of fire in the evening and a cloud by day. Whenever he saw this moving, he would follow. And he says to God in Exodus 33, God, if you're not in this, if you're not moving with us, I, I don't send us. Because where you're not, I, I don't want to be there. Moses learned to live a life of total dependence on God. This is all people who are pointing to, they died to self and they began living for God. Total dependence, total belief. Joseph, this guy is, talk about a life who just got messed around with family, talk about a, uh, a family that's dysfunctional. This is a dysfunctional family right here that Joseph was part of. Brothers were jealous. Father loved him more than anyone else. And his brother sold him into slavery. And he gets to the very end of his life. And he says to his brothers who are begging his forgiveness, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph's death came when he began to believe that God can take the messed up things in his life and actually use them for something good, something greater. I look at David, okay? David, King David, was not a perfect man. Slept with another man's wife, killed that man, and then tried to cover it up. But yet God says of David that uh, he says he testified concerning him, meaning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. 
This is God saying this of David. So as I look at David's death to self, is God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. His heart was so resolute on, God, I don't want to do what I want to do because it led to adultery, it led to murder, it led to lying and trying to cover it up, and then it led to a really messed up family. So David had a picture of what life looked like when he did it his way, and then he gets to the flip side of that, of repenting of that, confessing that, and he began to say, you know what, I'm not doing I any longer, I will do everything that God asks of me to do. We looked at Mary a few weeks ago. What I love about Mary is she did not sacrifice. She learned how to live sacrificially. She says this in Luke 1, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. This is an amazing thing for someone to say to God, listen, I am your servant. I will do whatever you have asked me to do. Why? Because I know whom it is I serve and I serve God. Her death to self came when she said, you know what? I can serve myself and say, no, God, I, I don't want any part of your plan, your purposes. I just want a, a comfortable, happy life here in the, in the suburbs of, of Bethlehem. Leave me alone. But Mary said, God, if you have this for me, I will serve you. Two more, John the Baptist. This guy was nuts. I mean, he lived in the desert, ate crazy food, dressed very unfashionably at the day. He was the one who prepared the way for Jesus. And his death came in uh, John chapter 3, verse 30. I love this. He must become greater, I must become less. Like, what a great way to live life. Like, John was the show. Everyone wanted to see John. Everyone wanted to follow John. They wanted a piece of him. They wanted to hear from him. They wanted to touch him. He was the star on center stage. But then Jesus came along. And as soon as John saw Jesus, he started pointing everyone to him. And he says this, but everyone's, John, are you the one? Or what's going on? Should we, who are you? And are you this Messiah? And John just said, no, not. He must become greater and I must become less. Like, I wonder in our death, if we would say that, it is time for me to decrease. Stop trying to make such a name for myself. Stop, stop trying to go for the applause of, of, of people and just say, you know what? I don't want to be known and, and recognized and valued and appreciated. I want to become less so that people will see a bigger, brighter, uninterrupted picture of Jesus. And then for Jesus himself. Death for Jesus came before a cross when Jesus just simply said the night before, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I, death, or I, die, is found in any of these stories in any of these people. And today, as we would just finish and get ready to spend some time in worship, I just have to ask, have you died yet? I'm not talking physical death, obviously. I'm just asking, have you died to self? Have you just said, man, enough of me. I, I want to decrease. I want to totally depend on God, not, not on myself. Have you died yet to you? 
I'll say it again. I've repeated myself a lot. If you have not died to self yet, died to the I, you're missing the life that God has intended and purposed you to live. These people that I mentioned in Scripture, from the Apostle Paul to Abraham to Moses, Moses to Joseph to King David to Mary to John the Baptist to Jesus himself, they got this. And their life and the lives around them looked radically different because they said, I die, before they actually got to their physical death. My hope is, well, let me ask one more question. What do you think the relationships you have with people would actually begin to look like if you made a decision today to die to self? What do you think your marriage would look like? Your dating relationship, your engaged relationship would look like if you know, hey, I'm making the decision, I'm dying to myself. Like, do you think that relationship would just fizzle out? Or do you think that relationship would take a radical turn for the, for the better? More than just relationships and isolated selves, what do you think this church community would look like if we as a church were committed to say, you know what, I'm not going to make it about us. We are not going to make it about us. We're going to love our neighbor. We're going to serve our neighbor. We're going to engage our neighbor. We'll be the hands, feet, heart, mind of Jesus. Why? Because we're committed just to dying to self so that we can live for, for Jesus. And a life of Jesus says, now make much of others and love them and serve them. Have you died yet to self? As we pray, uh, invite Corey and, and Krista to come back up. We'll do some worship, and I would just encourage you, during worship, you can certainly sing out and, and such, but... I just encourage you to, to sit with this for a second and say, you know what, I'm not sure if I've actually died to myself yet. To Paul, it was very simple of, I die daily. Your prayer, if you are a Christian, if you've already made a decision to follow Jesus, let it just simply be, Jesus, I continue to resurrect myself every single day. From this point moving forward, I just don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. Asking God, help me to remember this decision by your grace, by your strength, that I'll wake up tomorrow and say the same thing. Another day where I don't make much of me, but I'll make much of you. Another day where I don't depend on self, where I try to control everything. Uh, another day where I can fully, totally, absolutely depend on you for anything and everything in all places at all times. That might be your prayer. And I would encourage you, if you've yet to make a decision uh, to follow Jesus. The invitation is here today to simply say, wow, I've made much of myself throughout my entire life. Today, I want to make a decision uh, to follow him, to follow the one who lived absolutely a perfect life, paid the penalty for my sin so that I could be right with God. And yet death did not defeat him. He was resurrected back to life so that those who would live would have true life. If you have not made that decision to trust Jesus, I'll be honest and say, I'm not sure what you're waiting for. And I would just encourage you to make that decision today. To say, enough of making much about me, I will live for him. So Father God, I just ask that uh, there would be a great sense of, of uh, conviction here today of uh, us individually and also as a community just responding to you.
God, I do believe that you speak clearly through your word. And so, God, whatever you have been speaking to uh, individual hearts and minds here today, I do pray there would be a great response to you in this place today. God, I pray that there would be many deaths here in this place today. Obviously not physically, Lord, but I ask that there would be um, a great surrender, a great submitting, just a great prayer that says, today I will die to myself, tomorrow I will do it again, and the next day I will do it again. That Jesus, you would just live through us, through this community. And Jesus, I do pray that if there's anyone here today who's yet to make that decision to trust you and follow you, God, let today be the day where they declare they are no longer God's center of their world, but that Jesus, you are. As uh, we would continue in worship, uh, we celebrate uh, communion every Sunday at Genesis as a way to remember uh, that Jesus um, has saved us. And so as you, we're going to do worship here for a while, so uh, just as you feel led, come up either by yourself or if you want to come and celebrate communion with a friend or with your spouse. Uh, and we just remember that Jesus Christ uh, paid the penalty for our sin. And uh, we take the bread and we dip it in the wine or juice, and we just say, Jesus, thank you for doing for me what I could not do for myself. As you dip it in the wine or juice, it's just a remembrance that because of Jesus, we're clean. We're made right uh, with God both now and forever. So as you are led uh, and ready to participate, celebrate communion, uh, come up as you are ready.
Father God, thank you uh, for rescue. Thank you for saving. God, thank you for the invitation to uh, to truly live. God, I do pray that as we would go from this place, we would live very differently. That we would live for you and not for ourselves. God, that even tomorrow as we would wake we would remember 
another day just to say no to self, to die to self, that we might live for you. God, I do pray that as we'd go from here, you'd be incredibly generous to each of us with your voice, that we would hear you throughout our day, and that we would be people to respond to you throughout. So God, thank you for saving. Thank you for rescuing. Thank you for doing for us that which we could not do for ourselves. God, by your courage, by your grace, by your strength, we will live very differently. And we will live a life not marked by I, but a life marked by you. So by your grace, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us. the day or two after Christmas. I'm glad that you were able to come and celebrate uh, God with us. And uh, again, if you are here just for the first time, thanks for coming. Thanks for finding your way. And I realize there's a lot of people here from out of town. Uh, so as you would travel back to where you go, uh, travel certainly safely, uh, but encourage you just wherever you go, continue to make much of him. And uh, as you would leave this place, and for those who this is your church home, pray that we would continue to make much of him and not of ourselves. So uh, we'll see you guys next uh, Sunday, and we'll finish off this I-series um, uh, with a, a message just entitled, I Will. Uh, so next Sunday, 1030, we'll see you. God bless. Peace out.